You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. You are listening to Mining Stock Education, and in today's episode, you will be hearing from Jordan Royburn from thedailygold.com. Jordan, as most of you would know, is a market commentator in terms of the gold price, where it's headed, macroeconomics, as well as commentating on and finding picks for his subscribers for the junior mining sector. So Jordan, welcome welcome back on to Mining Stock Education, and I'd like to get your thoughts first on where you're seeing value in the junior gold sector. It's commonly said that the best way to profit is to find a common misperception and then bet against it. Are there any misperceptions in the junior gold sector that you're seeing right now and that you're hoping to profit off of? Well, hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And we were talking about this beforehand, but it's interesting to me, and it's something I just started realizing in uh, maybe recent weeks or recent months is Uh, I like the value in a handful or more of development stocks. Um, I think a lot of people in our industry, they obviously are focused on exploration, which is great. Exploration can be a huge value driver, even for producers. I mean, we've seen some uh, junior producers just perform fantastically thanks to exploration. And obviously, in the uh, looking at pure exploration companies, that's where you can find a lot of 10 baggers and even more gains than that. Uh, but looking at developers, just looking at some of them and running the numbers, I think that uh, there's a chance that uh, if over the next, let's say two or three years, we see gold break above 2100 and make a run uh, towards 2800, maybe even 3000. I think that uh, there's development companies right now that uh, if we see that gold market and they're able to successfully build their mines, I think that there's potential for some 10 baggers there. Now, not a lot, but uh, maybe a more than a few. And I say that because uh, there's a couple things going with developers, Bill, and that's the re-rating that you get uh, from just being a late stage explorer uh, or someone who uh, you're thinking about building the mine and then you eventually Uh, go from raising the money and building it to becoming a producer, you get such a huge re-rating in your valuation. And so if you look at, um, you can have uh, what they trade at against net asset value. Uh, Before they build the mine, you know, it can be anywhere from, you know, 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, maybe a little higher in some cases. But once you build the mine, I mean, there's a pretty good chance you can be trading at one times net asset value. And so I like to look for uh, several things here with developers, and that's um, do they have a project that uh, is producing at least 100,000 ounces a year? Uh, does that is the project scalable? Does it have some upside? So maybe the study says they're going to produce 100,000 ounces a year, but they say, well, you know, once we get it going, we're going to expand it a little bit. Uh, bring in some more ore or whatever, and then it can go to 130 or 150. Uh, at, at the same time, you know, maybe there's a company that's uh, they're going to produce 150,000 ounces a year, but they say, well, we think we can, you know, a year or two after we start, we think we can get this up to 200,000 ounces a year. So you're getting, I mean, that brings in the element of production growth in addition to a huge valuation increase. And we're not even talking about the gold price, which if it goes from the 1900 to 2300, 2500, then you have all these factors that are driving some huge gains in developers. So I 
really like to look for. The things I like to look for uh, are, is the project scalable? And also, is it can the company finance it and build it themselves? Uh, because what I mean is if you have a company that has a market cap of, let's say, 100 million or 150 million, but they have to raise 500 or 400 million to build the mine, it's just it's really difficult for that to happen. Uh, it, it's just too much of a, it's too much money to take on. You can't take on that much debt. You can't dilute your, your shareholders that much. So if you if you have a developer, the project is scalable. It's a it's a project where the company is big enough where they can finance it. It doesn't have to be a particular number, but you know maybe it only costs them two hundred million to build, or one fifty, or maybe a little more than two hundred million. If that company can successfully raise that money and build the mine, uh, then they're going to be in a really good position. So that's where I am finding a lot of value. And I, I mean, I found some companies there, uh, but I'm, I'm really hoping I can find a lot more. And I think, aside from the obvious things, what I would also tell people is. If I'm bringing it back to exploration, look at exploration, because if there are some companies that uh, maybe they're just building the mine or they've started production, uh, but uh, there is some exploration upside there where they can add to their reserves or maybe expand production. Those are also some areas that we can look at for companies that uh, can uh, fulfill a lot of upside potential. Uh, so that's a little bit past the development stage, but I, I think those are those are things that I'm really focusing on right now and where I'm seeing a lot of value uh, in the junior sector. So if you're buying a development company, when you're doing your assessment, you're actually, if I understand you correctly, looking at this as a multi-year hold if you're planning on holding it through the construction phase into hopefully the ramping up of production. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I, and I did just do an update uh, for subscribers. And so I'm looking at uh, what's the potential upside for some of these companies, let's say uh, 18 to 24 months, and then two to three years. So um, it, it's hard to be a buy and holder in this sector. I think the, not to segue, but the easiest way to deal with that is if something makes a really big move, goes up a lot, you know, you have to sell a third or a half and let the rest of it run. So, but other than that, if you want to be a buy and holder, look at some of these development plays because you can hold them for, uh, 18 months, you know, to two and a half or three years. So yes, that's, that's right. Yeah. It's a little harder too to stay. If you're looking for a quick dollar to stay in a development play, I had a CEO, uh, ask me a question earlier this year. He said, Hey, how do you think we can get people in, in, <laughs> excited about our story? And I said, to be honest with you, uh, most retail investors are not going to get excited about your metallurgical results. And the fact that you're many, at least four years away from production, those stories, they are harder to get excited about. But if you can get the gold moving in an upward direction, it's easy to get a triple out of. And then if you're like yourself, where you have a long-term perspective, maybe on a five-year play, you could get a 10-bagger, would you say, on something like that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and as far as valuation, another point that we're getting at is if you look at there's there the those charts of the junior life cycle, uh, there's two best points to really buy. And the first is you know, as they're making a discovery or before they make a discovery, which is, I mean, that's really difficult to uh, time and know who's going to make a discovery. I mean, it's really a form of gambling. Uh, you know, I like I like to say we want to try and ride the wave. Like if, if a company is making a discovery, you want to get on that wave early on and ride it where the discovery can grow. But to me, it's a lot easier uh, to buy at the other point in time. And that's at the end of the development cycle or in the late stage 
uh, before they build the mine and become a producer because uh, you know the worst time to buy is right early in the development cycle where they're doing metallurgical studies like you're talking about and and they're doing all the important things that uh, tell the market if they're going to be able to permit and build this project or not. Uh, however, the market doesn't care about any of that. So you have to be careful. You, you can't get into a developer way too early in the cycle. You have to get in later in the cycle where it's closer to the point where they're going to be raising the money or maybe even a little bit after that. It, it's different with every company. And at the, at the same time, you also have to look for things that have value. You know, look for some of those companies where it looks like they're going to be able to build the mine and raise the money, but maybe they're trading it only 0.1 times uh, NAV instead of like 0.5 or 0.6. Then those companies have a lot more upside potential if they're able to actually build the mine. So those are also important factors to consider. And finally, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, if if you can hold for two or three years, you might have a chance to get a 10 bagger in some of these stocks. And who knows? Maybe if they're only a five or a seven bagger, I mean, we're getting greedy here. I mean, that that sounds really good to me, honestly. Dore Copper Mining is a premier near-term high-grade copper and gold redevelopment opportunity with tremendous exploration potential only 14 kilometers from the town of Shibugamu in mine-friendly Quebec. Dore Copper is debt-free and owns a 2,700 ton per day mill with an 8 million ton tailings facility ready to be used. There is already power to site and it is accessible by paved highway and rail. Dore Copper aims to produce a profitable hub-and-spoke operation of over 100,000 gold equivalent ounces per year or over 60 million pounds of copper equivalent by 2024. Because of the existing infrastructure and location, a low capex is anticipated to recommence production. Dore Copper trades under DCMC in Toronto and under DRCMF on the OTC. To learn more, go to DoreCopper.com. That's DoreCopper.com. Jordan, you mentioned lower capex projects is what you look for, but if you get a world-class project, you know, you're looking at a billion plus capex usually to build something that's going to produce 500,000 ounces per year, which is what a barrack is looking for. Would you view one of those as more of an optionality play, you know, because the caps capex is so high and would you ever buy a stock like that? Yeah, I, I think those are more optionality plays. But I mean, I'll just push back a little bit on what you said, because I think you can still get, I mean, if it world class, uh, maybe something that's not that large, but I think you can get 200,000, 300,000 ounce, not a lot, but there's probably a few out there where you, if, or at least Barrick and the majors, if something is world class in terms of the economics and the costs and the grade and all, and all those sorts of things, uh, and if it's only producing 200,000 or 250,000, I think majors are still going to want those projects because if they're world class or close to it, you know, tier one type projects and the costs are relatively low. I mean, you can get those built for 200, 250 million, maybe even 300 million. Uh, and they have really good economics. Uh, those are still the projects I think that majors and really everybody wants. So, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about 500,000 ounces and CapEx getting towards a billion. And, and when you get into that territory, those are really optionality plays, in my opinion. Yep. And when I define world class as 500,000 ounces per year production for at least 10 years, because that's what Barrick is looking for. So that was what was in my head when I said that. But you have subscribers that reach out to you. So you get feedback on an anecdotal level of what people are looking for, interest, frustration of what's going on in the sector. What can you share with us about the sentiment that you're picking up on right now? 
Well, I have a number of thoughts on sentiment, but I will say uh, a week or two ago, uh, there's the daily sentiment index, and that was pointing towards lows. Uh, and, and one thing with that, I don't look at the daily readings. I look at you know what's the 20-day or 18-day average. So I like to look at that. And so that was pointing to a rebound coming in the sector. Another thing is that the uh, the commitment of traders report and the net spec positions, net speculative positions, and that report has, you know, we saw back when we had the big run in the summer, the, the run was so strong that I think you actually had commercials, they had to actually cover their positions. And so when the market gets really strong, you see that happen. And that's kind of, um, it's, a, it's affected the reading of the COT, the net spec positions. Uh, they're still fairly high, even a couple in the last week or two. Uh, or two weeks ago, I should say, when the metals sold off towards their bottom, like I didn't see any real decline in the net spec position. So that's that's you know one factor that's a little. I mean, it concerns me a little bit that we haven't seen more selling from speculators. Um, but that's really one of the only negative things right now for the sector. But getting back to sentiment, anecdotally, and you have to be careful. You really you need to look at the data, things like the COT and the DSI, and then also weigh that anecdotally. And it's interesting because um, you look at, uh, you know, I, I could just anecdotally, I could just, there was somebody sent me an email of someone on Kitco talking about, well, this could be 2011 again. Uh, I saw something on stock charts. There's a technician, Martin Pring, who is like, he's one of the uh, well-known, like old timer technicians. He's written lots of books. I love him as an author, but I saw that uh, he wrote something that said, maybe the gold bull market is over. Uh, I got an email. Somebody else was saying the same thing. Uh, you know, is Bitcoin taking over gold? Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, we're and, and mind you, all these things were happening uh, as the mining stocks were coming. They were coming down, correcting, getting close to really, really strong support levels. Uh, you know, same thing with gold coming down towards uh, 1760, 1770. Really strong support in there. So, yeah, the, we were starting to hear. You start to hear these things around the bottom and not a top. And, and those things were very encouraging. And I'll just repeat one more time. When you're looking at anecdotal factors, uh, these things should be taken alongside of hard data. So that's what I like to do. Look at the DSI, look at the COTs, and then factor in anecdotal evidence. Because you know people will, they'll say, oh, well, I knew it was a top when you know I, my shoeshine guy was talking about it, or Uber drivers are buying gold stocks. I knew it was the top. Yeah, that that may be true. But, you know, look, look at some hard data, use the hard data, match that along with uh, anecdotes, and uh, you'll be pretty good as far as predicting the turn. So have we seen a near-term bottom then? Yeah, I, I, I think we have. I mean, I, you know, I like to be on the conservative and cautious side. But in my update this weekend, I said most of the things that I'm looking at, you know, the weight of the evidence really uh, is very encouraging for precious metals. I mean, you had significant corrections in the gold stocks, uh, as well as gold coming down below 1800. Gold, uh, Bill, gold corrected 15%. And historically, if you look at uh, what happened in 2009 and 2004, gold corrected exactly 15%. So I don't want to beat my own chest when I say this, but you know, back in the summer, I was looking at history and I said, well, you know, gold could, the history says we could have a 15% correction and come down you know, just below 1800. Uh, and I'm looking at another thing I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, comparable periods. I mean, nothing is a perfect comparison, but I'm looking at 2004, 2006, 2009 for gold when it had corrections 
after big moves. And basically in terms of time, those corrections lasted only four or five months. And so, and when I put together the rebounds from those corrections, you know, those forecast an average of gold getting back to, I think, 2000, maybe even 2100 in June. So I'm not, again, I'm not predicting and, and investing based on that, but that's just a guide of something that history says is possible. So I, again, I like to be cautious and conservative, but when I look at a lot of these factors, uh, it, they tell me that at, at least over the next few several months, it looks like the way uh, the you know the path of least resistance is going to be higher doesn't mean it's going to be pretty every day you know we may have to grind higher but I do think we've seen an important bottom especially in terms of price I don't think we're going to go lower. What's the biggest mass macro risk for gold investors right now? Uh, the biggest macro risk is uh, the continuation of what has happened in the last three or four months, which is the market or maybe the last two or three months. The market has been focused on. Uh, a reco the recovery side of the angle more so than inflation or reflation. So the, the market, they've been focused on the recovery and inflation expectations have been rising. But in that type of environment, uh, that tends to favor, at least initially, it tends to favor uh, things like the stock market, emerging market stocks, and also commodities that are not precious metals. So the risk would be that we see a continuation of that trend well into next year. Now, even if that continues, I, I still think precious metals can do well, but precious metals need to overcome that and perform really well in relative terms if we're going to see a huge move higher and a huge breakout. So I'm not, I, I don't see evidence. I mean, this may change, but I don't see evidence that we're going to have a huge breakout move beyond this recovery that I just discussed. So that is really the uh, the negative side and and look because gold has been driven by you know economic fears zero interest rates uh, you know uh, it's been and, and that's also helped the bond market so we, we're seeing an un, you know as we see uh, the market start to bet on a recovery uh, we see that trade the the fear trade you could say the zero rate trade we see that unwind we see bonds selling off long term interest rates ticking higher we see that happen. Capital flows into emerging markets, stock market, commodities uh, at the expense of precious metals. But at the same time, Bill, precious metals, we did need a correction. So um, you know, that kind of explains what's happened in the last couple months. And so that would be my question uh, coming in 2021. Are we going to see that trend of the last couple months? Is that going to continue uh, for the bulk of 2021? If it does, you know, I have a hard time seeing huge breakout moves in precious metals. But that being said, we are coming on what could be an important low here in the last week or two. So it's there's a lot of nuance to that view, which is we're at a low, we're going to see a rebound, probably a good move at the start of the year. Uh, however, a, a lot more needs to be done uh, for me to be confident that we're going to see a huge breakout move in the next you know, three, six, maybe even nine months. So there's a lot of nuance to that view. Jordan, before you go, you have a subscription that is open to the uh, the full spectrum of gold investors, but you've also kind of offered more of a narrow um, subscription for gold stock investors and resource investors. Before you leave, please share about that. Okay, well, this is for uh, high net worth investors who like to speculate on things like private placements. Uh, it's called the Daily Gold Elite, so that's another offering I have. Uh, if, if anyone fits that, uh, you can email me at jordan at the daily and I could explain 
everything we do. And so, yeah, really happy with that so far. I mean, there's there's a lot of value out there, even still in gold and silver, but there's even more value potentially in other commodity sectors, which are just starting to get going. All right. And Jordan's website again is thedailygold.com. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show and for this update. Thank you, Bill. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.